This is the Be Helpful Podcast, where conversations with budding entrepreneurs prepare you for the wild journey of building a business or side hustle. I'm Boy Adebayo, and we're about to jump back into our conversation with Ravi Karani, the founder of Sutro. Um, as you learned last week, Sutro is a water sensing robot. Uh, it's a pretty cool hardware tech company that Ravi started, grew, and now is continuing to grow within a company that purchased him about five years ago. Um, really great guy, just really open, has a ton of experience. Um, he also, in a previous life, worked kind of as in the VC space. So as he talks about fundraising, he's going to share a little bit of kind of inside baseball, as well as his experience as a founder himself. Uh, another part of this conversation I really enjoyed was um, Robbie's the Robbie's principles, I should say, around unattachment and acceptance, and how that comes into play as a entrepreneur. And then lastly, we talk about Excel. <laughs> um, and you guys know that I love my financial models and my Excel spreadsheets, um, but Robbie tells us about how. Uh, useless they can be, I, sh I, I joke, and more about how inaccurate they can be. And also he gives some really good feedback and thoughts on how to make them useful because there is a place for them. So um, again, great conversation. I'll shut up. I'll let you enjoy and leave a review, letting us know what you learned at the end of it. Thanks. The Be Helpful podcast is brought to you by Yensel. If you're looking for an easy to start side hustle with zero upfront cost, visit yensel.com. Yensel allows you to sell documents online. You can finally make money off of that spreadsheet that you made for your wedding or that travel itinerary you made for your last vacation. You can upload your documents and start selling in less than 10 minutes. Visit yensel.com to start your side hustle today. So you've, you've been running Sutro, what, seven years now? Is that correct? It's about seven years, eight years, something like that. About seven years. And you and when did you guys get acquired? Uh, we got acquired five years ago now. Five years. So, so talk to me a little bit about that process and that experience, because this is this is your baby. Yeah. <laughs> how, how how did um, that how did that kind of not only kind of physically how did that happen and how did it work, but then internally as a, as a, as someone that you know you probably were thinking, hey, this is going to be a multi-billion dollar company. Like, how did you deal with that? Yeah. Um, so the the kind of first first question you asked of like the, the process, um, we were in the middle of raising some strategic financing, um, kind of leading up to our Series A. And, you know, very, very simply, um, one of the strategics basically said, hey, it might just be a better option instead of us funding a part of this larger thing to kind of just, you know, acquire you. Um, there was also, you know, to be honest, a deal that also fell through. Um, so a little bit of, a little bit of founder drama in there too, but I won't, I won't dig deep too much into that. Um, and so, you know, things just kind of popped in at the right place in the right time. And, you know, with that being said, I don't think it necessarily changes anything on my vision, notably because Sandy Mark, the company that acquired us in Canada, um, has a has a parallel vision, right? They they see eye to eye with me in building this thing out for the pool industry. They themselves are a sanitation company that has verticals in food and beverage and janitorial in in hospitals. And so 
you know, why, why not work with a large distributor that already makes chemicals in these markets to help me not only see the pool market, but see it scale horizontally into all these other markets as well. And so we were, we were very much aligned. Um, and you know, nothing against VCs. I, I like, honestly, you know, my, my paths to them, like I'm super, super gracious for all of the VCs that invested in us, but there's also a beauty in being so close to a strategic that has financing that also understands the end to end of your business model, right? Because VCs, yeah. and, and, and I know this because I had a VC hat on, it's really, really tough. Even if you focus on a particular area, like deep tech or hardware, you know, building like a smart breast pump, right? Which was one of my friend's companies versus a, a water sanitation company for swimming pools versus a smart water bottle are three very separate markets that all have three very separate distribution strategies and three yeah. separate products. And so, I mean, not that any three of these are bad investments, but as a VC focusing one person on three separate ideas or many separate ideas, um, it just becomes really, really problematic. Um, from a, an entrepreneur standpoint, to get feedback from a funder that can kind of resonate with you. Um, and so there's, there's pros and cons, right? Honestly, I think the, the, if I can, I can argue the opposite point of it's also great to kind of, you know, not have the, the management side of a large company or, you know, somebody from the management team that's kind of guiding product direction. Whereas if I had a little bit more autonomy with the VC or investor side, I might be able to make decisions a little bit more, you know, lean or quickly. And so, I don't think there's like one size fits our one's better than the next, but the kind of end of it again was like, they saw eye to eye with the vision of the company and the vision of what I wanted to do. And honestly, I'm super gracious for, for them, for kind of leading us to this point. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of, um, it's the process of how we got there and then, and then how it's been. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool because I think that, um, the thing that, that, that I really key on key on that you, that you said is, the importance of aligned vision and partnership, right? This just alignment of, Hey, this is where I want to go. And this is where they would like to go and what they do. And it kind of works well together. Um, I think that that's really important because <clears throat> there's, <laughs> there's nothing more, you know, there's a game, there, there's no game that I like less than well, what if someone offered you $10 million or a hundred million dollars, or you name the number for your ideas? Like, well, I don't want to put a price on it. Like I know what it can be and yeah. I want to kind of build this out. And so it is this challenging thing that, um, you know, your friends are always going to ask you when you have an idea and, you know, it does become a little bit of a challenge to like make that decision. I, like I always make, I'll put it out there. I always make the comment to say, I want my strategic partner to be Microsoft for Yensel. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be, I know, I know their product suite and how it would perfectly align with us. And like, I would love that. That'd be awesome. Would I want them to buy all of my company? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it a little too much. Right. But, but sure. I, 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 I get that. I get that the, the, the priority and the importance is that alignment and vision. And then that, that partnership as well. And, and at the end of the day, it goes back to leverage and momentum, right? Your goal is to get yeah. this idea seated in the market and get it in people's hands. And so, you know, whatever the quickest way at the end of the day is to do that, then you kind of go with the, you know, at, at the path of least resistance. And so I'm not, you know, again, hindsight 2020, I would have never 
known or made that decision with with like looking forward it's not kind of you know you just kind of follow that 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 zigzagging path and that's kind of where we're at today um yeah and so yeah i mean and honestly am i am i grateful and gracious you know in the middle of covid that we we had a strategic partner that was helping us fund the hardware i mean a hundred percent man that would have i a few of my friends over here it was painful seeing them try to fundraise um working with the yeah. team that was entirely flat now because everybody went to video like it was it was crazy and so yeah you know i'm also just really grateful that we we got acquired when we did and then also looking back the time that we've been through 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 covid and through the through the lockdowns and through the supply chain crises um there was a lot getting thrown at us and then you're a startup to begin with so like 10x that right yeah absolutely so so i want to tap a little bit into your your vc brain um since you, you know so space so well you know how would you how do you think about money <laughs> how do you think about kind of raising money um choosing the right money for your business like given your experience as a vc how do you tend to think about it um not only for your business but then also for you know someone that were to ask you it's like i have this idea and this is what i'm trying to build yeah, the, the one thing that I remember, and every VC will say this, um, the one thing to look for is team, is the people, mm. right? I think at the at the forefront is the is the entrepreneur, um, mainly being if if he or she is not focused on their business, right? If they're if they're doing ten other things all at once, and this is kind of a little flash in the pan, um, they're not focused, right? Then again, like kind of like to your to your baby example. Um, if they have 10 different babies running around, like, you know, you, you want to focus on, on this one thing that you're, you're trying to grow and nurture and get out to the market. And you just, you can't do it without being focused on one thing. Um, the second thing I would say is founder ego. And I've, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and, and mentored a ton, you know, during my VC days and also kind of in growing up and as a founder, you need, you need a certain amount of ego, right? Because you're, you get this imposter syndrome. You're kind of standing there on a stage. You don't really know if this thing you're making is or is not going to work. But there's a point at which that gets dialed up too much very early on in the game. And that can also be detrimental, right? So almost being introspective, looking at where you do stand in that kind of ego complex. And by all means, I'm not saying don't have an ego. Like I, I get it as a founder, you're you're kind of taking a step out there and, and doing a thing that's never existed before. So you need to have a little bit of an ego, but, um, mm. you know, tone, tone it down because it can end up not only being detrimental when you're raising money, but more importantly to your team, if you're trying to build a group of people that are going to trust you as a leader, you're going to end up having way too much churn because people just don't believe in you as a leader because you're way too busy sitting up on your own high horse for them to even like think about, contributing to your idea because they're like, I don't know if I even want to work with this guy. And so right. uh, those are kind of the two things I would say are like at utmost importance in, in kind of building or wanting to launch something. Yeah. How, how, how have you, how have you thought about, let me ask this question. How has your leadership style changed and evolved? over the years from starting Sutro to now, um, especially given what you've said about managing your ego and, 
and kind of learning from experience? Like how, how has it evolved if you were going to be introspective right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing I've learned is this concept of unattachment, right? And I think mm-hmm. that has come about from, from the acquisition, from kind of this deal falling through before the acquisition. Um, you, you necessarily, the world throws way too many things at you and there's too many variables for you to be able to control yourself. And so a certain level of unattachment is necessary, right? Nobody could have predicted COVID. Nobody could have predicted the outcomes from COVID, right? The fact that we, we shut, if you were opening up a restaurant in the beginning of COVID, nobody would have told you, you know, Hey, for two years, you're going to literally shut your doors. And the only business you're going to have is DoorDash. Like there's, you could have spent all this money on your interior design and then you would have had zero people stepping into that building because nobody was going out. Right. So, but it wasn't written in a book anywhere that like, Hey, COVID is going to happen at this date at this time. So don't invest in this business because you're going to be better off doing X all bubbling up to this concept of like unattachment. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which, which kind of in general allows me a bit of calmness when there is like a lot of things just getting thrown around because you don't necessarily get attached to a particular thing and hold on to it. Um, yeah. And granted, everything I say here has a yin and a yang, right? Like you don't want to be too disattached where you're just like kind of lazy and you're like, I don't care about anything. Um, there right. is a certain tenor. There is a certain like ambition, a certain drive to get to a point. But don't be so like hell bent on it that you're never going to be able to like move to the next thing, right? To be able to pivot. Um, yeah. And then the the kind of flip side of that is actually acceptance, Right. And I know these are kind of very like broad terms, but unattachment and acceptance. Acceptance means COVID's happening. I spent a million dollars on my, you know, interior design of my restaurant and nobody's going to come in. What do I do now? Let me, let's just, let's accept the scenario as it is today and let's figure out what to do next. Right. Which is like, maybe I need to turn this thing into a ghost kitchen. Maybe I need to figure out how to get on DoorDash. Maybe I need to figure out how to make the food cheaper so people can order it on Grubhub and DoorDash. You know, whatever it is don't be so bent on your restaurant and the interior design of it because nobody's going to come in, but figure out how to still make money, stay afloat and then get the food out there. Because at the end of the game, you want people to eat your food as a restaurant, right? So right. Um, those are kind of the two ways that my leadership child, the style has changed um, is in these kind of two, these two kind of factions of unattachment and acceptance. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Like there's, Unattachment. I've got to think and spend some more time on that one because acceptance is, is is one that I've been working on for years. It's like control what you can control, <laughs> except mm-hmm. the things that you can't. Um, but the unattachment is. I think there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And um, you'll fall in love with an idea, and you'll do everything that you can do in your power to make it come true. But in the event that it's time to pivot you've got to take the emotion out of it you've got to dissociate and say hey it makes sense to pivot and i think that there's a lot of wisdom in that yeah exactly this is fun there's there's so many kind of like random tangential questions that are popping in my head um that i i I want to dive into um This is this is something that's that, that I'm curious about. At any point over the seven years, have you 
had a sigh of relief or a feeling of less pressure or stress? Or is it just every single day there's just something new that that um you know you you want to enjoy the small win, but the next day you're just like, all right, now this is a new thing. Yeah, I you know, I don't know if I would define it as as relief or stress. Right. I think part of that theory of acceptance is every every day is a relief because you're 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 here today right like you you've you've yeah. tackled the challenge yeah. of yesterday and so in a sense that is that is a relief right if you give this kind of yeah. definitional angle of it um but the, the the kind of end of it is like there's just a series of of problems things to solve in front of me yeah. and whether whether the universe is throwing it at me or the world's throwing it at me or it's like a business created problem or it's Silicon Valley bank, literally not having deposit, you know, there, there's like, who would have, who would have thought of that? Right. Like the right. startup world almost crashed because they're like, I can't pay payroll because I can't access my bank. Right. You can be yeah. thinking about everything all in the above. And then you're like, yeah, my bank shut down. Um, so yeah. that, that, that goes back to acceptance and unattachment, right? Like just today is today. I have to accept the fact that Silicon Valley bank doesn't have my money. Let's figure out what the feds do and get to that next point. And so is it really relief or stress? I think it's just kind of seeing what's in front of you right now and then attacking the problems that need to get attacked. Um, yeah. And those problems obviously become bigger, right? The the bigger you get, there's more at stake, there's more risk, but you also need to make sure you're building in more redundancy. You build in more securities, more, more fail safes. Um, and still the, the big problems end up happening, right? You get a, you get a COVID event, you get a Silicon Valley bank event, and there's just no predicting those. It's just, it's literally out of your hands. Um, and so, yeah, that would, that would kind of be my answer. I know it's not, I know it's like a, not like a direct answer to your, to your sigh of relief question, but uh, it's how no, I would it's, answer it's, it. It's, it's good. And there's, you know, candidly, I, I, I admire the sense of calm. Like, your 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 sense of calm is something that I'm very very impressed with, and I want to pull pull as much into that um, because I'm just kind of a high functioning ball of anxiety. Um, but but I'm I'm a kind of random question. What is your morning routine? I'm just curious. Like what what does your morning routine look like? Yeah, I um, try my my alarm. I try to wake up at six thirty every day, even on the weekends. Um, I'm just, I, I guess I'm more of a morning person. That's what my, that's what my aura ring tells me. Um, I wake up at six 30. I, my phone is always outside the room. I actually, I actually hate it when I'm in like in the hotel and I have to keep my phone next to me. Cause I'm, I'm such an addict for picking it up and like opening up my email app or Slack or something, right? Like I just, that's a problem I have. I can't, I can't not do that. Um, so yeah. I keep my phone outside. Then um, the first thing I'll usually do is actually read um, like for five minutes, three to three to five minutes. I keep my Kindle right next to me and I'll um, open up some sort of a philosophical reading, right? It could be like Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Um, Ryan Holiday has this thing called like the daily stoic, which is cool. It's like two pages. Mm -hmm. He has a verse from Seneca or from Marcus Aurelius. And it's just, it just makes you think, right? There's, there's nothing. Yeah there's nothing scientific about it. It's just kind of like, you know, sometimes it's like be a good person today. And it's like, cool. Awesome. 
great, right? You can just you kind of like you start your day off with like a little bit of a of a sentiment there, um, yeah. and then um, straight after that, I'll actually do thirty minutes of meditation, um, a combined breathing practice plus sitting in silence, um, and then and then I touch my phone. So that's like after basically an hour, will I will I get up? I'll pop up my phone, and the first thing I always do is open up my email, which is you know not the smartest thing, but whatever. I have that itch, and I and I need to scratch it. Um, yeah. And then I make a little bit of breakfast, a coffee, and then I head into work. And so, yeah, I I, I like it. There's um, my sister actually does this thing where she keeps the phone out of the room, and I always call her crazy for it. I'm like, what if an emergency happens? And it's just like, oh, I mean people will find you. Or it's not it, the end of the world. <laughs> if it does, it also does. My phone's on do not disturb and silent. And so they wouldn't, you know, honestly, if they, if I think whatever it is, if your favorites ring you three times or something like that, it'll, my phone will yeah. go off anyways. If it's out there, I'll still hear it. Right. It's going to go yeah. off and I'll, I'll pick it up, but yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I, I like that. I'm also, <clears throat> I'm also a morning person. So um, on any given, even the weekends, as long as I, you know, didn't go super, go to bed super late. 7 a.m. Um, my eyes have opened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have, they have at least opened. Sometimes I force yeah. myself to go back to sleep, but like by seven, sure. you know, I've, I've, I've unfortunately touched that phone once probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also, you know, there's, there's a bit of what you allow to control your morning, right? Like I said, I, I open up my email every morning. There is there is no amount of self control that I that I have over the subscriptions that I get, right? The subscriptions will fire that night. I'm gonna have, you know, ten emails or whatever from these subscriptions. Substack yeah. will send me my five or six notices. Um, you might email me to, you know, the day before, like, hey, reminder that we have our podcast tomorrow. Like, do I need to at the first thing in the morning like read these 30 things and have the world dictate the way that my day should go? Or can I start it the way that I want to, right? That's kind of mm. the question that I've asked. And that's why I leave my phone out there. And granted, if there's an emergency, somebody will call my mom and dad will call the phone will ring because I have that setting on there. Um, and I'll figure right. that out. But, uh, you know, on a, on a recurring basis, I don't want the world to dictate how I start my day. And I'd rather, you know, have that limited amount of control to start it myself. And so that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that that's a really wise way to think about it. That is a really good way to think about it. All of these things are um, outside of your control. And do you want to start your day off with a, I don't have control of my day anymore because I've got to do these seven things that someone else has put on my plate. It's a really, exactly. it's a really smart way to think about it. And And you can't stop your brain from having these, internal loops as soon as you see that as soon as i see that email regardless of what it is i'm going to start thinking about apple's new vr thing because product hunt emailed me i'm going to start thinking about the podcast i'm going to be on because you emailed me right like it yeah i don't get that time to breathe in the morning to be like what what really are my priority like what do i want to do today but now i've start started thinking about all this other stuff that's filled my brain and you know put opened up chrome tabs in my own head that i never really had control of and so you know i always want to start I have 27 tabs open on my Chrome too, but I'd love to start with, you know, a, a fresh slate every morning at least. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, <clears throat> there's one thing that I've been trying to do um, over the years. I, I used to do this 
for kind of all of my to-do lists and I kind of organize my entire life on it. I'm trying to get in a better habit of the night before to determining what I want my next day to look like. Okay, these are my priorities. These are the things. Yeah. So that even when I do wake up and I see the emails, I now have to figure out how to slot those things into what I've already told myself I'm going to do. So entirely. Um, yeah. So so yeah, that's that's something I, I I'm probably going to try to work to have a little bit more discipline in because I like the idea of controlling what I want to do in the day rather than being very reactive to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny, it'll open up so much quote unquote free time or focus time for you when you, when you flip the day like that. Um, yeah. Not to say that you're not going to answer emails or finish up the work that you, you need to get done, but you'll just do it within the context of you knowing what you want to do. Right. So then you also just feel better and feel more accomplished at the end of the day, because you're like, I tick that one to two things off as well as a bunch of other work. Um, yeah. before I fall asleep tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as we start kind of wrapping up, I, want, I did want to ask one question of <clears throat> what advice would you give other entrepreneurs who are considering not just starting a company, but building a product, a hardware product that similar into your case wasn't out there already or there was something out there, but it was just such, it was so far from the quality or the standard that they wanted to achieve. What advice would you give them starting out? The first thing I would do is take, take out a sheet of paper and write your product idea on the top, right? In my case, I would say a swimming pool robot that measures water chemistry. That inherently, the second line I would do is figure out what problem that that solves right? For the customer is it, people need to test their pool. And if they don't, they get green algae and they're swimming in a cesspool of mosquitoes and a bunch of nasty stuff. Right. With that being said, I would take that second line. I would, I would fold my solution on the other side so I don't see it. And then I would try to find 15 people, 20 people, as scary as that sounds face to face, like don't do a video conference. Don't do a phone call. If, if you're able to, Um, Sit down with them, buy them a coffee, go visit them at their home, go to their office, whatever your product is. Um, In my case, I would walk with them in their backyard and I would ask them, how do you test your pool? I want to see it. Mm. I don't want to, I'm not going to pitch my idea. I don't forget that I'm even here as an entrepreneur. How do you test your pool? Right. And then follow them, watch them as they take that test kit that has cobwebs on them, sitting out in the sun that's bleached open up that test kit and have no more liquid inside there and then go to the pool and take a sample of water where they shouldn't take a sample of water. Watch them as they look at the colors and they can't really see what the colors are. Understand when they pull out a big sheet of a bunch of formulas and try to figure out what the chemistry is. Don't, don't talk. Don't like try to pitch your idea at that point in time. Just watch them, listen to them. Say, yeah, can you, do you know what the colors are on that, on that little test strip? It doesn't work. Does it Um, do that 15 times and encapsulate, internalize the information that these customers have and write it on that same piece of paper. Open up that flap that you turned over and make sure that that thing that you're going to build is actually solving the problems that you've seen in those 15 people. And then go ahead and build it. But if you're going to take your first step without even talking to a customer to see what their actual problem is, then you're just building it and hoping hoping that they're going to come. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I love that. That's incredibly wise and great wisdom. And I can see that it, that applies beyond the hardware. You know, I, I think about the conversations I had with folks before starting Ensel, like, okay, you need this spreadsheet. What do you do? Oh, well, I Google it. I think I actually, ironically, I think I asked five or six people and like family and close friends, hey, go find this document. Yeah. <laughs> and like, or, or tell me something that you that, that you needed over the last, I think that's what it was. I said, tell me something that you needed over the last week. And people came back. It's like, oh, I needed to. I needed this thing for my kid or I needed this spreadsheet for this trip that I'm building. And then I was like, okay, how did you get it? And I basically collected an inventory of the ways that people would do it. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and probably more subjectively, I said, that's inefficient. That's inefficient. That's inefficient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I, I really like that process. Yeah. All right. So let's get to some, some concluding questions. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what misconceptions did you have about entrepreneurship before you started? Um, the, the, the financial Excel sheet, like literally when you're first building this model, every single VC asks you for this thing and all of those assumptions are wrong, right? You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to 10 X volume and my costs are going to be five X and you know, all this stuff. Um, that financial Excel sheet is like the biggest, the biggest misconception of what I think is going to happen in the business and what actually doesn't happen. Um, yeah. So, I got a lot better at finance, but uh, that 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 Excel sheet, I would say. How so? I've heard this a number of times, and um, as someone who loves spreadsheets and and tries to be as conservative as possible and make sure that it isn't always just up and to the right. I guess my question is, how do you still gain value out of that spreadsheet, knowing it's going to be wrong? Like from your perspective, how what what value does that spreadsheet actually provide, knowing that all of your assumptions are inaccurate? Uh, zooming into the spreadsheet, right? So if you make a five-year model, you'll have a very high probability that it's probably not right. If you have a year model probably a little bit better in terms of probability. If you have a weekly model, you're getting a lot cleaner on being able to pivot and make decisions such that you can actually hit that year benchmark. And so what I would say from the Excel sheet standpoint is figure out your KPIs, figure out what's important, figure out the OKRs, right, the objective and the key results. What do I want to get to in this year? Break it down again into these weekly, you know, or whatever, whatever time segment is right for you. And if you can see things at a smaller scale, you're able to pivot a lot more. You're able to make decisions at a much quicker base, right? Your feedback loop is quicker. Um, mm -hmm. And that's when the Excel sheet makes sense. Um, I know some people will be like, man, so you want me to like analyze you know, entire financial spreadsheets over the course of every single week? No, pick your five to seven metrics that you know are going to be levers and volume buttons to make sure that you can actually get to that North Star that you're trying to get to. Not to say you shouldn't have a five-year plan. By all means, have it. But if you spend 90% of your time on building a five-year model, your just general probability of achieving it is probably going to be lower than you would on a weekly level because you're able to think in terms of weeks and days, not necessarily yeah. in terms of years. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. Um, 
Okay, what book or books would you recommend to other entrepreneurs? And it'll be added to our library that's on our site for other entrepreneurs. Um, I would recommend... Actually, I would recommend Harry Potter. And the reason that I say Harry Potter for entrepreneurs is because your number one goal is to be a storyteller, right? You're, you're, you're raising something out of the grave that has never existed before. You're building something that's completely fresh. And the way to do that is to convince people, to tell really, really good stories that make sense. Um, and that goes back to the problem solution matrix, you know, all of the stuff that we talked about during the, during the pod. And JK Rowling is an amazing storyteller, right? She, she has amazing character development. She really makes you feel like the emotion behind the things that are happening with Harry and Hermione. Um, Read, just read really, really good stories. Read, read sci-fi. I've gotten a lot into um, the, uh, just go to the, go to the Hugo Awards. It's like the sci-fi award thing and pick like a handful, you know, go to Amazon and pick, pick a handful of books that interest you and read a science fiction novel because it, places a version of reality that's in the future that doesn't exist today by somebody that, you know, has a science background, right? For the, for, for those engineers that want to get sciencey about fiction and don't want something that's super fantasy. Um, so those are, those are two things that I would recommend or two books or two styles of books, Harry Potter and read a, read a, read a science fiction novel. I like that. I like that. It's a very unique answer. Um, but I think, I think you, you hit on such a really good point that it is all about storytelling and and a lot of times the best way to learn is to like just be a little askew to what you're focusing on because it'll get you thinking about your problem your problem statement a little bit differently so i really like that um okay my second to last question uh what question do you think i should ask the next guest question do i think you should ask the next guest um who who demographically will the will the next guest be? Another entrepreneur? Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. Just what question would you want them to answer? Um, I think a really interesting question is the earliest memory you can remember when you were growing up that mm-hmm. has had like a profound impact, or you know, that you like remember enough that has probably shaped a little bit of what you're thinking about today. Yeah. Okay, now you have to tell me about your earliest memory that shaped the impact of what you're doing today. <laughs> it's the trick I get every guest with. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the earliest memory that I just probably can remember um, is actually what I started off with, like building building these Lego cities with my grandfather. Um, you know, I think I was like seven maybe or eight. I don't know. I don't remember how early I remember back. But like it was, it was prior to 10 or, you know, um, 10 years old and i just remember going i remember i had my cousin's lego hand-me-downs right so i had like thousands of pieces and i built this entire city um on probably like a 10 by 10 room that we had in the back that was kind of a like a shed area sort of it was covered mm-hmm. and i realized that the legos were not didn't have enough high fidelity for me to build the city and so mm-hmm. I just remember going to like Michael's, the uh, arts and crafts store yeah. with my grandfather. And I picked up things that I could like add to the Lego city. So I remember picking up like little palm trees and little like people and stuff like that, just because I wanted to give a different 
feeling to this Lego city than the Legos were giving me at this point in time. And so that's kind of a, it's kind of what I, what I remember as the uh, earliest memory. I like it. This might be one of my new concluding questions because I think it does put a, put an interesting bow on the conversation because it does tie right back to what you said. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about what my earliest memory was. Um, I'd have to think more about it, but the one that stands out to me in my head was I remember when Magic Johnson was in the news because he was opening movie theaters. Hmm. And it was kind of like the beginning of his like business empire. And I, I was, I remember saying, I'm going to make the NBA, but I'm also going to be a businessman. I'm going to own a business and I'm going to run a business. And as my hoop dreams faded, every job I walked into, I thought about it from the lens of how is this going to make me a better entrepreneur in the future? So when I went into consulting, I walked in thinking my job here is to understand how this consulting business works because I'm going to have my own consulting business in the future. Um, and it was fascinating because I never really knew what my business would be. I just knew I would own a business. And so you're right. There's, there is something about that very early memory that does have this through line to how you approach a lot of things. I think, I think that's a really great question. Yeah. That's interesting. Really, really interesting memory. Yeah. Yeah. I was in my cul-de-sac. We had a little cul-de-sac and, um, <laughs> we used to use, the the sewer top as the hoop (laughs) so we would all just kind of like be shooting i just remember being in that in in the the cul-de-sac and and just kind of thinking like holy crap i'm going to be the next michael jordan and i'm going to have a business empire as big as magic johnson (laughs) interesting yeah um all right well my final question is, Robbie, tell folks how they can learn more about you, learn more about Sutro, um, and get connected. Yeah. Um, you can go to mysutro.com. That's M-Y-S-U-T-R-O.com. Um, that's where we have all the information on Sutro. Um, if you want to find out more about me, you can go on my LinkedIn. It's pretty, pretty well stocked with uh, everything I'm up to. Um, I'm also in the midst of starting a podcast myself. And so if you want to learn more about that, um, my podcast is called Liquid Assets, um, The Business of Water. And so you can just go to liquidassets.cc to find out more. But uh, those are the those are three ways that you can get a hold of me. That's awesome. Right. This has been incredible. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, man. This was awesome. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Ravi Karani of Sutro. Um, this wraps up season six, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, gearing up for season seven, we have a series of entrepreneurs that are just phenomenal. I'm excited for you guys to hear their story. Um, as we wrap up this season, I did want to give a quick update and exciting news about our website. If you are podcast shy or camera shy, but you still have an incredible entrepreneurial story that you want to share. We have a written interview platform on our website. So go check out the stories that are there now. And please, please, please go ahead and submit your story so we can promote your business and also just share your story so that 
all of us as entrepreneurs can learn from each other. I think that's the main reason why we started this podcast and we created this platform. So just so excited to see and hear the incredible stories that come through on that platform, because unfortunately I am unable to interview everyone. Another awesome thing on the website that you may not know about is we have a book club. We actually just launched a book club this summer um, as part of the library that lives within the website. Uh, for every guest that's ever come on the podcast, as you guys know, we ask them for book recommendations. Those recommendations live on our website in what we call the Entrepreneur's Library. And now you can actually join our book club. And so every month uh, within our Facebook group, we are going to be promoting and discussing a book that has been recommended on the podcast. Um, and it's just another opportunity for entrepreneurs to connect and share lessons learned and help each other out. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, that's a wrap for season six. And next week, we're going to kick off season seven with guest number 37. All right. Talk to you later. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit BeHelpfulPodcast.com for more content, tools, and resources that will help you along your entrepreneurial journey. Thanks for listening and see you next time.